0: Well, good morning. morning. If you're here for the first time, welcome. Nice to, uh, and thank you. If you brought a friend, thank you for bringing a friend. If you didn't bring a friend, we're going to have a workshop a couple weeks on how to make a new friend. (laughs) Just need to get out more, that's all. You're all very friendly and nice. I'd come to the service with you if I could, but I'm already here, so. Anyway, thank you. I wanna just thank uh, um, Martin for being here this morning and and Sharon. We actually had a sort of a a gap in our schedule and Mitch called Martin and said, and and in collaboration with these concerts, last week's concert was just amazing. Amazing, amazing and it was so much fun. So we're really blessed by that opportunity. And um, yeah, I just, Grateful for life. Grateful for, even though, as he said, we got this this new season upon us now for sure. Bless you. So let's move into some silence. I, oh, I'm Reverend Patrick Cameron. I'm the senior minister here, and um, it's my honor to welcome you. If you're here for the first time, we are a com- community of people, and we teach and support consciousness and spirituality. So you'll hear more about that in a moment. And so to help um, set us up for that experience, I'm going to invite you to just drop into 30 seconds of silence, and then I will sing a, a chant that we participate in every week as part of our ritual, and then I'll offer an affirmative prayer. So let's begin with our silence. Your spirit, one spirit, is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so, what I know, and I invite you to allow my words to be your words, and if they don't fit, just let them wash over you. Don't give them any energy at all. But my offering and knowing in this moment is I recognize the one power and the one presence, the one life. And that life is God. That life is perfect. And that life is my life right here and right now. And so, I give thanks for this opportunity to be reminded of that and to be part of this and to stand in the, in the welcome, the knowing, the love, the joy, and the beauty. Everywhere I look, I see with new eyes. And I allow this presence to have its way by means of me because it is the truth of my being. It is who I am and whose I am. It is never left. It is always at the core of my being on this eternal journey of our soul. And so we move into this discussion in the soul of money today. Bring our soul to money and our money to our soul. To stand as visionaries in this process of creation and co-creation and understand that there's something beautiful and powerful that each and every one of us has to share. That it is not large or small. It is potent and beautiful and wonderful at whatever level it is expressed. It is the consciousness upon, it is the grace and the beauty that brings the healing, the peace, the peace that passeth all understanding. And we celebrate the Christ consciousness for that is divinity embodied in our humanity is what the Christ represents. And so I celebrate the Christ within myself this day. I know that each time I turn to prayer, each time I turn within, whether I perceive it or not, something is happening at that, the deepest levels of my being. Deeper, as Martin just sang to us, than my sorrow, there is a truth. It is alive, resonating here and now, because it requires invitation, invocation. It requires an awareness and a recognition and an invitation into our hearts and into our being. For this is the nature of that realm. It cannot assist, it cannot join without an opening. And so I give thanks this day for the beauty and the joy and the opportunity that is available in and through and as each and every one of us. This day is perfect in every good way. And as I open myself to that perfection, I know that everything within me that is in discord or disarray is brought back into alignment here and now. This is my summon, this is my declaration, this is my knowing. And for that I'm grateful and together we say and so it is thank you sometimes I have to go a little bit longer because what I'm doing is convincing myself so if it sounds like I'm trying to convince you sometimes it's the muchness of life distracts us but we're really here I mean we're here as a an awake and aware and evolving community to understand that we can bless and honor all traditions because every tradition is sacred now we see people that kidnap traditions in the name of their own political agenda. We don't support that. That's not what I'm talking about. But all, we honor all sincere seekers. And all of us are wired in certain ways. For some, this is a great fit. For others, it's like, meh, not you guys. And we just thank everyone who does stop by and check us out because we're not here to force, coerce, blame, shame, guilt. We're here to invite and to empower. So I've got a few slides I'm going to show with you. Not a whole lot. I do the slideshow to keep me tracking. It's for your benefit. Believe me, folks. You'd, it'd, be, it'd be a whole different experience for you if I didn't have them. Because so. <laughs> the way my mind works, um, there's a lot of things to, to say. But as Einstein said, the reason we have time is so that everything doesn't happen all at once. Okay? So we are, I am the place where abundance shows up. And that's been our theme about, you know, we are and, and whatever the quality is. So this month I wanted to talk about abundance. And, um, and Lynn Twist's book, as Reverend Tammy so beautifully uh, shared with you at our, um, as she uh, presided, this is the new copy. I have an old copy I'll bring with me next week, but I pulled one out of the bookstore. We have these available in the bookstore. They're $24.95. So if you're interested, that bookstore would be happy to sell you one, and if not... It's okay. I will do my best to give you bits and pieces throughout the month because it's a very, very uh, uh, insightful, deep, and wonderful book. And I'm just going to give you an on-ramp to what it's about today and and, uh, uh, hopefully you discover and and realize the the value of it as as I have in my work with her. So uh, the first, um, let me get back to my slides here. The book and the, the slide of the journey that brings our soul to money and our money to our soul was one of the gems that I thought was quite lovely when, she was, when I was doing my research this week. And the three ideas I want to share with you today are the soul of money, the new dream, and answering the call. I want to keep it nice and simple, and, uh, but, but such powerful information. Probably 10 years ago I worked with this material, and for me it was just like a brand new book. So have you ever noticed that sometimes? Now the book hasn't changed, but I've changed. And so what she talks about, I want to just touch on uh, at the beginning what this book represents. She says it offers a way to realign our relationship with money to be more truthful, free, and potent. Truthful, free, and potent. Enabling us to live a life of integrity and full expression that is consistent with our deepest core values, no matter what our financial circumstances. So in other words, so much of our identity can be wrapped up in what we have or don't have, especially financially. And as she beautifully expresses in The Soul of Money, it's not about that. But many people believe it's, they fall asleep in that, that, that trance. This book is about living consciously, fully, and joyfully in our relationship with money and learning to understand and embrace its flow. This is your opportunity to embark on a remarkable and rare journey, one that has the potential to transform all aspects of your life now and for the future. The journey that brings our soul to money and our money to soul. Lynn Twist talks of a committed life, a life not grounded by wants and needs, but by commitments. A big commitment that she made in her life that got her on this road was the commitment to end world hunger. She just got up one day, and and in the the first chapter or two of this book, she talks about her husband and her and, and the track that they were on and how that shifted for them. And I won't go into the details of that, but... What her life brought her to was the awareness that this was unacceptable, and she made a commitment to end world hunger. And so she said that big commitment started getting her up in the morning. She had a reason to live beyond her own small needs. It told her where to go. It told her what to wear. It told her who to meet with, and it took her all over the world. So she went to many, many countries. She worked in India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Nepal, Ethiopia, Gambia, Zambia, Zimbabwe Worked with Mother Teresa side by side just prior to Mother Teresa's uh, death. But living a committed life got interrupted for her. And so she tells this beautiful story. There was a, it was interrupted by some mystical experiences. It was interrupted by some remarkable dreams and some incredible visions. So that's a little bit about it. And we'll, we're going to draw from this beautiful book all month long. But in The Soul of Money, that's... The, from the introduction of learning to have a new relationship with this idea of commerce. It's only been in the last few hundred years that we've actually had uh, exchange of money. Isn't it interesting? And, and So anyway, it, uh, what awoken for her was this idea and experience that brought her to this idea of a new dream. So she and her husband ended up in the middle of nowhere with a, 10 other people. As she said, it was the middle of nowhere, but it was the the... the experience of everywhere. The experience of everywhere because it was so beautiful. So she ended up in the the Amazon rainforest in Ecuador. And she met the Ashuar people. And these beautiful people had never had exchange of commerce. They had no way. So in their culture, in their tribe, if there was a need. So if if two members of the tribe married one another, then the whole tribe would come together and they would build a, a home for that, those, that couple. And, if they, and they killed a boar, if someone went out hunting and they killed a wild boar, that would feed the whole tribe. So it was always about sharing, it was always about the highest and best for everyone, that everyone was included in whatever was happening. But they had no way to exchange um, what we would you call currency. It was foreign to them. But she said that the Ashwar people, being an indigenous tribe, and they had never had contact with the outside world, did something really rare that they don't think was ever done before they actually reached out to the modern world and initiated contact. And the reason that they reached out and initiated contact was because in their visions and in their dreams and in their ceremonies, they saw that danger was coming. And they looked around some of their other tribes, some of the the tribes that were in their vicinity and they'd watched what happened with companies that were coming in to exploit resources. And because some of these tribes didn't ever understand the purpose of money or the need for money and were given money in, in, in exchange for some of their resources, their tribes were decimated. So they reached out, but they reached out in their own territory under their own terms so they could control the interaction. So they didn't want to put themselves in harm's way, but they were cautious, but they knew that they had to have this contact. So this idea of the new dream, they needed to understand the modern world because they had no clue what to expect, what it was all about. But more importantly, they needed us, you and I, to understand what they needed. So it was a two-way street. It wasn't just about what they, they wanted. They wanted us to know what they needed. So they, they said to the, the people that they invited, if you're coming to help us, don't waste your time don't want you, don't need you, go home. But if you're coming because you understand that your liberation is bound up in our liberation, come on, let's work together. Isn't that beautiful? Here's an indigenous group of people that realize that we are, I mean, they're teaching oneness. Your good is, Dr. Ernest Holmes would say, there's no private good. Your good is my good. My good is your good. It's a whole different context and and sense of, of collaborative, of community. It's a world community. So let's work together if you're on board with that because you need to know what we need as well. So with that understanding, Lynn Twist's life completely changed and she and her husband Bill began to uh, became completely committed to empowering this indigenous tribe in the Amazon to preserve the tropical rainforest, to empower them because they are by birthright the natural custodians of these forests and the wonders of them, and she describes it beautifully, about the, the, lush, the lushness and the colors and the, the, the flora and fauna and the animals. And she said it is just endless. It's just a, this bounty. But what Lynn said was, for me and for many of us, when we fall asleep in this dream of lack, so let me read this, this bit from her book. She said, for me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. Anybody? F- oh, you got enough sleep last night. You got an extra hour, right? But... And maybe not for you guys, but the people we know out there outside the walls. Let me read that, okay? I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in our beds, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate. Already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with that litany of what we didn't get or didn't get done that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to the reverie of lack. This internal condition of scarcity, this mindset of scarcity, lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to the reverie of lack. This internal condition of scarcity, this mindset of scarcity lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life. And that's the trance that we can fall asleep in. I was reading an article this morning of, a, of an elderly man who was in his 80s, and that's a, big, that's a big, big issue for people. I know many, many people that, yeah, this, this long life, but am I gonna outlive my resources? We never used to have that as a problem. That I know many, many people, holy cow, you know, it's just like, hey, I got enough money till Wednesday, but the, the week's too long, if you know what I mean. So outliving our resources. I was reading an article this morning, it was in fundraising in churches. Go figure, why would I be reading a book like that? And um, it said this one gentleman was in a nursing home, and he said, you know, it's costing me $61 more a day, now this is in the U.S., than the, than the government provides for me. And complaining and just very, very upset about the conditions of his life. And he happened to pass away. And they went and, and he worked, this, this particular uh, individual work with the family and went and they discovered that this man had over um, $400,000 of liquid assets in his bank account. And they had a $25,000 um, check sitting on his desk that he'd never cashed. And I thought, isn't that a mindset that someone can that have? And of course, you know, $400,000, we can go through that in a heartbeat. He probably would have been out of that by the time he was 112. But the point being is that it's so easy to drop into this mindset of scarcity, is it not? No matter matter how much we got. And and So what is that? But we have fallen asleep in this trance. And in fact, after they'd been with the Ashwar people for a period of time, the Ashwar people, as as they built rapport, which usually takes a bit of time, they said, it's great you've come to help us, but the most important work you can do is to go home And change the dream of the modern world. To go home and change the dream of the modern world. A dream that has become a nightmare for ourselves and all forms of life on the planet. A dream that is rooted in consumption and acquisition and the endless destruction of the natural world. You can never really change your everyday actions. I love this from Lynn Twist. You can never really change your everyday actions because they will always line up with the dreams you have. Isn't that true? Isn't that what we teach? Want to have a different life? Get a different dream, a different possibility. And the infant will always agree with that and start to conspire in ways to support you because this benevolent, loving presence is always saying yes. And we are in in the co-creation with that by right of consciousness. So a dream rooted in consumption and acquisition and the endless destruction of the natural world, go back and help change that. You cannot really <clears throat> change your everyday actions because they'll always line up with the dreams you have. Your life will always line up with what your vision is and what you're wishing for. But if you change the dream for everyday actions, that will, they will be informed by that once we change our dream. And be a different ki- and you'll have a different kind of life. So out of this interaction with the Ashuar came the Pachamama Alliance. Anybody ever heard of the Pachamama? It's an alliance between the the people that live in the Amazon, the people that live in the Andes, and the people that live, you and I, that are conscious and aware and making a difference in consciousness. So I'm not giving you this information as a shock because I'm just telling you what you already know. But when we have a different dream, our relationship shifts and changes and the infinite gets it. So to nurture that dream. So as Lynn Twist says, what does it mean to change the dream of the modern world? It's a big job. It wasn't her plan to go to the Amazon. Her plan was to end world hunger. She started out ending world hunger. as she said, it wasn't my plan, but it was my destiny. The indigenous people shared with her, we can see the deep, deep trance that your culture is in, meaning us. We can see the deep, deep trance that you're in. And they can see it because they're not in it. I mean, you know, look at the world right now. We've got a guy that's been elected to a very, very powerful position based on the idea that he's, he's very good at acquiring. And, you know, I've read enough stories to realize he's good at keeping stuff. He may not be too good at, like, paying people that he owes money to, but that's a whole different conversation. But this idea of acquisition... And this idea that, well, geez, let's get somebody that's got all the money because he'll take care of it. He'll fix it for us. I don't know what the mindset is there. But the point is it's reflective of that trance. And, 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 and you know, I can drill down on how money influences the political process, and we know it does. So, but that's part of the trance. That's part of the, the situation we're in today. But it hasn't always been that way, and it can change. And that's the good news. So to go back, we can see this deep, deep trance that you're in, and she, and she said these indigenous people have compassion for us. They look at it and they have compassion because we fall asleep in this acquisition, um, and it's um, it's easy to go asleep, to go to sleep, and she says this: these indigenous people can help us wake up, but waking up requires courage. Waking up requires resolve. Waking up requires a kind of knowing ourselves. It is an act of courage and consciousness that is critical for the times we're living in. It's critical we do this work. This is not, this is, I think, the most important work that any of us can do, to wake up and continue to wake up, to to pass a legacy on to those we love, our grandchildren. And you know something, Gary Zukov talks about this in The Seat of the Soul. When we heal something in this moment, it goes both directions it goes not only to the future, it goes to the past. Because at the quantum level, it's timeless. There is no time and space at that. So when we really move into a healing or a shift, it's just a revelation. It's just a new knowing. It affects everything and everyone. So, I I love this insight. I'm going to share this with you. It's really a key point here. Let me flesh this out with you. She said... The financial crisis, now she wrote this, did this work, and and she's referring to the financial crisis of 2008. So that was about almost 10 years ago. But she said, the financial crisis we are living through is not just caused by greed on Wall Street or the kinds of things done by the mortgage bankers that contributed. But it may be at the heart of the ecological crisis. So she ties the two together. And let me continue with this. But she said in 1987, the scientists, some scientists, and of course we can argue with that, but some scientists agreed that we as a humanity on the planet had crossed a particular line. In other words, we were taking more from the earth than it was possible for the earth to replenish itself. We look at the dramatic weather conditions now, and some would say, well, it's got nothing to do with us. It's just a natural pattern. I don't know. I think there's some fairly wise and, and, and in-depth studies that say, um, yeah, it is having an effect. But whether you agree with that or not, 1987, they said that we have, we have crossed the line. <clears throat> we are taking more from earth than giving back so it can regenerate itself. It was predicted at that time, in 1987, it was predicted that in 20 years, we would have a financial crisis so deep and so important that it would be a huge and almost unending crash twenty years later it all blew up lynn twist says that the financial crisis we're experiencing is actually the ecological crisis showing up in the economy now if we buy into the idea of energy we buy into the idea that we're all one and one system affects another system where can the outlet be where's the relief valve for this crisis that we're in and so i think it's a beautiful way of, of looking at this holistically That, that That what we do economically affects everything. What we do spiritually affects everything. It's, It's a total system. So the last idea is answering the call. It's time for us to answer the call. And she, she frames this in a very positive way. This is not bad news. It is wonderful. Listen, we are blessed to have this information. We're blessed to have somebody like Lynn Twist on the planet, traveled all over the world, can pull these things together and bring insight and wisdom and I think something generative. There, there, I just saw a thing on, um, on the uh, Facebook and they're talking about now that what's happening on Facebook is that people have reached a point of indignation. Have you ever have you read anything on Facebook where people are indignant and they're complaining and they're upset? Anybody seen that? Just me? I've seen it a few times. But what's happening now, so indignation used to be a trigger for change. So the Vietnam War, enough people got mobilized and indignant enough to say, this has to stop. And they started marching, and they started making phone calls and calling their political representatives. And in a very short period of time, it all changed because the support wasn't there anymore. But what's happening now with social media is people get indignant, and they they post. And then someone that resonates with it finds it, agrees with it, and they share. And so what we have now is we have a group of very, very indignant people that keep sharing, and it's like a, a carousel. But there's no resolution. There's nothing happening. Nobody's marching. Nobody's making taking a stand. They're just complaining. And so this is a new phenomenon. I don't know what they're going to call it, but isn't it interesting that we have access, immediate access, and I'm so indignant about this, and let me tell you why, and yeah, I agree with it. and I'm going to share, and pretty soon it goes all over the planet. And, I'm going to say, and there's nothing wrong with getting indignant, but if indignant is the practice, we're hooped because it has to lead to meaningful interaction. One of the things, we brought the cue process to the community, and we're going to bring it back. If you haven't, uh, didn't get a chance the first time or you'd like to repeat, uh, Dr. Gary Simmons is going to be with us February 9th, 10th, and 11th. And that Saturday, we're going to do the cue process again. And we just finished our last three weeks of it with our debriefs, and it's, it's phenomenal work. Because what it forces us to do or invites us to do, it doesn't force us to do anything. It's self-monitored. It's self, uh, Is to look at the areas where we get triggered and bring a new awareness to it and re-script it and o- awaken the new dream in our lives. Because as long as we're, we're bogged down in the old unresolved hurts and misidentities, we just stay stuck. There's no way out. And then we just back on Facebook sharing the indignation of others And then, what's the point? It's so easy to go into this idea of it'll never get better. The shooter in Las Vegas, they still can't figure this guy out. But you know what they think now is he was an investor, he made his money off real estate, and he was a professional gambler. And he lost a bunch of money. So he got despondent. So here's a guy who made God fine. the, The God in his life was finances. His finances started going out the window because of the lifestyle he'd created. And so the next thing you know, he, he, he spins into such resentment that he decides to end many, many people's lives. That's the trance. That's part of the condition. He is the aberrant, he's the, you know, he's the, the canary in the, in the coal mine, in a sense, because that is what so many people have given their, themselves to. And that's not why we're here. So isn't it beautiful that we have people, spokespeople on the planet that understand how important consciousness is? a world that works for everyone. In her book, The Soul of Money, I found the the vision statement for Centers for Spiritual Living, which is a world that works for everyone. I thought, well, that's where we got it. Somebody read this book. That's where it came from. Not a new idea. It came from Lynn Twist. But here's the deal. It's time to think about how the collective trance is something that we can unlock for ourselves. We can unlock this. We 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 can't get anybody else to unlock it, but you and I can unlock it. You and I can unlock this. Answering the call to greatness. To look at how we're living and the choices we're making. She asks us to consider how the choices we're making could be determining the future of the planet for the next 1,000 years. And not like a burden, but an opportunity. An opportunity. We have this information. We have the technology. We can bring practices into our lives to answer the call of greatness. Each person here has greatness within them. Each one. Each one. We forget that. We don't think of ourselves in that way many times. But it is true. We can make an impact for the next 1,000 years. You and I are living in an incredible time in history. Incredible with all the information we have, the opportunities we have. We are free to make the most meaningful lives that any generation of humanity has ever lived. That's the truth. We are free to live the most incredible experience of life like never before. And what this does, this ennobles our lives. This ennobles who you are, it ennobles who I am. The whole different ballgame. There's there's not something to be afraid of in this, as she said. It is something to celebrate. But it's so easy when we look on social media and and they're indignant and this person's indignant. Oh my God, what are we gonna do? We are here to, to pull ourselves up by the spiritual bootstraps and go... I'm here as part of the solution. I'm calling myself into greatness. She said, I, I'm so inspired. Lynn Twiss says, I'm so inspired by the message of the indigenous people. Wake up from the trance. Just wake up. There's another way. She said, I'm inspired to be alive at this special, special time in history. What an honor. Jean Houston writes in the Science of Mind textbook, now is the time when we are the ones we've been waiting for twisted to hospice, we are here to hospice the structures and systems that no longer serve us, that are no longer sustainable. When something is hospice, it dies a natural death, gracefully. And we don't need to kill it, because it's dying. And there are systems that are dying, and they need to die. And while we end, while we midwife the birth of new structures and systems that we now know in the 21st century will sur- serve humanity and the future of life hospicing and midwifing are both acts of love we can do this with love we think to change the dream that we'll have to, to live a discounted life of some capacity but what if changing the dream allowed a, a greater sense of abundance in our lives and that it actually became a better quality of life I mean I think that's what scares most people Well, that, how that affect me how, individually what if it works for everybody? A world that works for everyone means we can make these transitions with some grace and some and ingenuity and some inspiration and to realize, oh my gosh, you know, we don't have to spend all this money. Look at the money that is spent on defensive countries in this world. Can you imagine if nobody had to have an army anymore? And we could spend money on something besides protecting ourselves from one another, on education, technology. I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, and we'll always have, you know, you've got to have structures in place because some people do misbehave. But it's, it's about that idea that I talked a couple weeks ago about power under control. You have the sword, but you don't have to pull it because people know. I mean, that's the point of having a, a, a system in place. So what she says here is what is called for is love. What is called for is consciousness. What is called for is being the kind of human being you always dreamt that you could be. So what can you dream for yourself? What is possible? We are living in conditions, circumstances, and historical moments that call for greatness. You are called to greatness. Anybody here feel called to greatness? All right, anybody here called for greatness? Let's stand up right now. Everybody called for greatness? Stand up, take a stand with me. Get those arms up in the air. I am called to greatness. Say it with me. I am called to greatness. Yes. All right. Beautiful. Thank you. Love that. Because we are called to greatness. Now you've just inv- invited something new into your life, by the way. You know. So pay attention. Called to greatness. It is. It, this gives us an opportunity to live to the potential that humanity has always had. It is a privilege to be alive, and it is. Despite the struggles and the pain and the suffering, it is a privilege to be alive. It is a privilege to listen to the message of the indigenous people. It is a privilege to know that we have the opportunity to stop the destruction of the rainforest. It is a privilege to know that we can wake up from the trance and create a new dream for ourselves to answer that call of greatness. So beautiful. I'll leave you this, and we'll get Martin back up here to do another beautiful song. George Bernard Shaw wrote this. And I'm always inspired by this. This is the true joy of life, that being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. The, uh, being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world is not devoted itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community. And as long as I live it, it is my privilege to do whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die for the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle for me. It is a sort of splendid torch, which I have gotten a hold of for the moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. So let your torch burn brightly, and so it is.